0: A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God, day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them, But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he'd been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times and a half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring those who obey God's commandments and hold the testimony of Jesus.
1: Well, shall we pray? Let's bow in prayer. Gracious Father, we do thank you for your word and we thank you for the opportunity the children have to learn your word now in this Sunday school. We uh, thank you for this uh, great opportunity we have to just focus on what you're saying to us through this uh, interesting part of scripture. And we pray, Father God, that uh, you would uh, help to inform us and and change us, that we would uh, be people who worship Jesus as uh, the uh, Lord and our God. And we pray in his name. Amen. I remember walking through a marketplace in Kuala Lumpur uh, once a number of years ago. And uh, I was with a mate of mine from Sydney named Steve and... We're in one of those uh, marketplaces where uh, most things on sale, you th- kind of suspect they may not actually be real, like the Pierre Cardin shirts and the, you know, Bole sunglasses and the Rolex watches. Uh, Steve picked up this Rolex watch and uh, said to the guy that was selling us, wow, um, this is fantastic. This, you know, he said, this Rolex watch in my country would cost about $10,000 how much are you willing to sell it to me for? And they bargained a bit, but the guy ended up saying, look, for you, sir, special deal today, $10. (laughs) And uh, Steve said, wow, that's a great deal. And I suspect that because it's Rolex, it must have a lifetime warranty. The fellow said, sure does. If it breaks, you just bring it back to me, I'll give you another one if you can find me. (laughs) Now, Steve didn't mind paying $10 for that Rolex watch because he knew it was a fake and uh, that's just part of the deal. Uh, He uh, wasn't uh, too unhappy about that purchase. But uh, some counterfeits are not so obvious and some counterfeits can cost you very dearly. Grange Hermitage is one of the most expensive drops of wine on the Australian market and uh, a few years back there was a dozen or a half dozen bottles of uh, Penfolds Grange Hermitage which were very, very old bottles that were being auctioned and just before the auction, the auctioneer noticed on the label of one of them a spelling mistake. The makers of Grange Hermitage do not make spelling mistakes on their labels but what if you gave not just money but your very life to something or someone who proved to be a counterfeit sometimes you hear stories of that happening those sort of love kind of relationships where someone who's got a a bit cashed up um, and a bit lonely and meets someone and they fall in love and they think that the person loves them and turns out that they end up being fleeced and abandoned and they're pretty awful stories, the heartache that's involved in that. And uh, what we see in Revelation chapters 12 and 13 today is really a story of counterfeit, of betrayal, of fakeness. And so I want you to open that up in your Bibles if you wouldn't mind. I'll just grab one myself. And let's have a look at what this counterfeit is on about in Revelation Chapter 12 and following. Now, as you're doing that, we're going to find in this section that there are three main characters that are brought to our attention. Three significant characters. There is a dragon and there are two beasts. And so I'm looking forward to seeing Lachlan's pictures of this sermon after over morning tea time. There is a dragon and there are two beasts. Now, remember that this is apocalyptic literature, if you haven't been with us over the last few weeks. Apocalyptic literature is a style of literature in the Bible uh, and in other places, which is not literal, but rather it uses symbolism and uh, picture language to paint for us a picture let's check out this picture and I'm going to do a bit of reading through some of these verses because uh, just to to freshen your mind and uh, because we'll also be getting into chapter 13 but first of all the the main uh, the first character that we meet is the dragon let's have a look at him in chapter 12 verses 1 to 6 where we're told a great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven a woman "...clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head, she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born she gave birth to a son a male child who will rule all the nations with a nine scepter and her child was snatched up to god and up to his and to his throne the woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by god where she might be taken care of for one thousand 260 days. Actually there's three characters here. There is the woman and she's got 12 crowns on her head so uh, that suggests that she represents Israel with the 12 tribes. She gives birth to a son who will rule over the nations with an iron scepter. Now who does that sound like? In the Bible Who is it that we're told would rule the nations? Jesus. Hmm. Sounds a bit like Jesus, doesn't it? But in verse 3, enter the dragon. Now, what does this dragon look like? Well, he's got seven heads and he's got seven crowns on each head. Uh, In the Bible, the number seven, as I keep on saying through this series... Uh, is the perfect number. It symbolises completeness, symbolises deity. It is the number for God. And so the dragon represents himself as God. But yet he is afraid of the sun. Uh, because in verse 4, uh, the, the dragon knows that he must destroy the sun as soon as uh, she's, he, the woman gives birth to the sun. And in verse 7, there is a war in heaven. Now, more about uh, spiritual warfare, heavenly warfare later, but let's just be clear on who this dragon is because in verse 9, his identity is exposed. What does it tell us in verse 9? In verse 9, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the, the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. That's who he is. You see, the dragon presents himself as God the Father. But what is he like? He's a fake. Now, let's move on to the second character. Uh, And the second character is the first of the beasts. So I called him Beast Number One. We read about him in chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. The second part of verse 1, where it says, And I saw a beast coming up, out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? If you go down to verse 7, he was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them and he was given authority over every tribe, people, language and nation. Now what is this first beast like? Well, he has power, he has a throne, he has authority over every tribe, people and nation. Uh, In verse 2, he has received that authority from the one who is greater, that is the dragon. Now think again, who else do we know in scripture who is given authority over every tribe, people, and nation. Who else do we know? Jesus. See, God the Father Father grants authority to God the Son to rule the nations. So therefore, in one sense, this first beast is like Jesus, um, but he's not Jesus, is he? Uh, You know, a couple of reasons for that. Let me show you why. A few weeks back we saw that in apocalyptic literature that animals can symbolize greatness. And so uh, this one here, he looks truly great. Uh, He looks like a leopard. He's got feet like a bear. He's got a mouth like a lion. So he is truly impressive. In verse 4, his followers proclaim, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? But remember when Jesus appeared in Revelation chapter 5 how did he come uh, did he come as a lion or a, well he, actually in one sense he did but he, he didn't come uh, as, as a bear or uh, as an eagle or you know he didn't come with strength he came in weakness because what did he come as he came as a as a lamb he was called the lion of Judah but surprise, surprise, he came as a lamb, a lamb who had been fatally wounded, dead, sacrificed. Now this one here, he's been fatally wounded, too, hasn't he? Well, sort of. Uh, in verse three in verse three, it says, um, "One of the heads of the beast, seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. Now, that's funny, isn't it? I mean, a serious wound may heal, but a fatal wound, by definition, doesn't heal. Uh, If you have received a fatal wound, you are dead. You are dead. So uh, it looks like a sacrifice has been made. It looks like he's been killed, but no, uh, he hasn't. So the first beast presents himself as being the sacrificial son of God. But he's a fake. Indeed, he wages war against the saints, against those who put their trust in Jesus. Now, what about the third main character? And that is the second beast. Uh, We read about him in chapter 13, verses 11 through to 13. If you turn over to that. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. So what's this second beast like? Well, he has authority to rule the lives of people. It is authority that has been given to him by the first beast. And notice that he does not cause people to worship him. Rather, in verse 12, he causes people to devote their lives to beast number one to the first beast. In verse 13 what does he perform? What does he perform in verse 13? He performs miraculous signs and wonders. In fact there's even uh, fire uh, descending on the earth. Well who else do we know in the Bible who has authority over people's lives but whose role is to draw people to worshipping someone else. Um, who is it that who, in the Bible that brought fire and miraculous signs? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. See, <clears throat> God the Father sent God the Son into the world to die as a sacrifice for our sins and to be raised again. And as God the Son was raised again, he then sent God the Spirit who comes into our world. In Acts 2, uh, miraculous fires of tongues and enters our hearts and the Holy Spirit uh, does not cause people to worship the Holy Spirit, does he? No, the Holy Spirit convicts people of our state before God, our sinfulness, He convicts us of the truth of what Jesus has done on the cross to pay for our sinfulness and he draws us so that we would trust in Jesus and honour God the Father. So the the Holy Spirit is very self-effacing. He leads us to worship Jesus, to put our trust in Jesus and to worship God the Father. Now, What that means is that if Jesus, uh, if you're a person who puts your trust in Jesus and you're living in response to that, then that is because you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been at work in your life. This second beast represents himself as the Holy Spirit, but he's a fake uh, because he causes people to to worship uh, the first beast. He causes people to worship the false god. In a sense you can see it's very Trinitarian, isn't it? Uh, Except this is not the Holy Trinity, this is the unholy Trinity. And there's something else about this fake Holy Spirit. In verses 16 through to 18, uh, his followers are marked on their hands and on their foreheads with a very special number. Do you see what the number is? 666. Verse 18, this calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. Come with me um, over to Ephesians chapter 1 for a few moments, if you wouldn't mind. Um, You find Ephesians chapter 1 on page 827 in your Red Pew Bibles. I want to just uh, share with you something of what Paul says about our status as people who put our trust in Christ from verse 11 onwards he talks about how we've been chosen that how we put our hope in Christ for the praise of his glory and verse 13 he says and you were and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation having believed you were marked in him with a seal the promised holy spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. No one else's possession, but God's possession to the praise of his glory. And so what we see there is that if you are a Christian, then you have the mark of God, don't you? And the mark of God is the Holy Spirit. Uh, And it means that uh, the evidence of that is that you'll have faith in the true Jesus, And you will have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So uh, how do you know who is a genuine Christian? Well, it's by the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Jesus says, by their fruit you shall know them. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life is a changed and a godly life. And it's changed because you now belong to God. That's what Paul says there in Ephesians 1. You now belong to God. God so that is the mark of God now people make a lot of this mark of the beast don't they Um, this 666 if you go back to Revelation chapter 13 and we've probably all heard of about 666 Uh, there's been books that have been written on 666 there's been movies that have been made about 666 there's even an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie called End of Days, where Al Pacino plays the beast, as, as far as I remember. It's it, it found its way into popular culture, this scary 666. And and people sometimes look for the mark of the beast in all sorts of new technologies and things. I remember when Bank Card came out and had the BBB in the lower case, that people were saying, that's it, that's the mark of the beast. Or There are people who are looking for... Probably is actually the banks. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> um, but you know, or you know, microchips, which will be—they're talking about—you know—you can have something sort of implanted into your hand, so that you can just go past the checkout and it, um, you know, just registers and they send you the bill and all that sort of thing. So, and people look for this kind of thing, but we need to think about what does this actually stand for in uh, apocalyptic literature. And uh, here's a thought, that if 7 is the number for God, then 777, perhaps that symbolises God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, Now 666 almost gets there, but doesn't quite, does it? It looks like God, but it falls short take a look at uh, chapter 14 verse 1 then I looked and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads we talked about 144,000 last week I think Jehovah's Witnesses get all excited about that Um, it's symbolizing the people of God but notice that uh, that they have a mark and it's on their foreheads and it's uh, the name of the lamb and the father's name written on their foreheads. Now, it's funny how you don't seem to hear people talking very much about this mark in popular you know, culture, do you? Uh, you know, why aren't people desperately going around trying to find out you know, what this mark is and how to get it put on your foreheads and so on? And the reason is because it's not a literal mark, it's about ownership. It's about who you belong to. That's what it's about. I remember some years ago seeing a fellow walking down the street and he was wearing a t-shirt and on the front of the t-shirt he had a message on it and it said, I'm a fool for Christ. I thought that's a bit strange and as he walked past me I looked at the back of his T-shirt and he had a question on it and said, whose fool are you? And it left me stunned because I thought, yeah, that's an interesting question. It's saying that uh, didn't the Bee Gees sing a song called "We Everyone Belongs to Someone? Uh, you know, there's this sense of who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? And in this world everyone from a spiritual point of view, everyone belongs to someone. Now, what does that mean? Well, in terms of what the scriptures say, you either, the scriptures divide humanity into two, two groups. You either belong to God or you belong to the evil one. We've got to be careful about using language like, you know, people being evil and belonging to the evil one and so on because people can misunderstand that. We've seen a bit of that over the last week or so. Um, people referring to Christian a particular Christian read about it in your bulletin as being evil and so on um, <clears throat> what do we mean by that well it doesn 't to to belong to the evil one doesn 't mean that you 're a person who you know uses Ouija boards and sacrifices chickens or or uh, you know belongs to a witch's coven or that kind of scary stuff it It, it can mean that, but it doesn 't necessarily mean that uh, what it 's saying is this it 's whatever you live for it owns you, and that is your God. Uh, In chapter 12, verse 9, how is the dragon described? Well, he is described as that ancient serpent, the father of all lies. Uh, Remember in the Garden of Eden, what was his message to Adam and Eve? His message was, God doesn't have your best interest in mind. You know better than God. Don't follow God. Follow me instead. Do what I say. And that'll be good for you. And so Eve and Adam, they took that fruit and ate that which God had said you must not eat. And in doing that, that was a that was a rebellion against God. They were saying, well, actually, we're in charge. We're not following you, God. We're following this ancient serpent. And you know what? His message hasn't changed. Down through the the generations, people live for God's lowercase g, which are false. Uh, The God of materialism, the God of money, the God of renovating your house and having a bigger and bigger house and letting it consume your life, the God of leisure, the God of career, the God of false religion. We've seen a bit of that in the last couple of days, haven't we? People actually zealous for a false God, the God of sport. It's good seeing the Rabbitohs win last night, but, uh, you know, um, everything in its place. Some of these things are good, but, you know, people live for the God of anything but Jesus, don't they? Um, it's Whatever takes the place of God in your life, that is the God of 666, the unholy trinity. These things might look terrific. Uh, they might look like they're worth spending all of your money and your energy and your emotions and your effort and so on, but they might look great, but that's the deceit. They're counterfeits. They look like 777, but they just don't quite get there. And on the Day of Judgment, they're going to be found to be like that Grange hermitage. A spelling mistake on the the label that makes all the difference. Counterfeit. And if you have a look at chapter 13, verse 8. In chapter 13, verse 8, there is a terrible shock. For all of those who uh, worship false gods... Who do not worship the Lamb that was slain, on the day of judgment, what they will find is that their names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb. Nothing more horrifying, nothing more shocking than on the day of judgment, where, <clears throat> where the eternal difference between heaven and hell is made clear, to find that your name's not written on the Lamb's book of life. Because you followed a counterfeit and you've rejected the true God. You know, without the Bible, we tend to look at life from a purely physical perspective, don't we? Uh, And we fail to realise that in the heavenly realms there's a battle for your souls that's going on. Listen to the words of Paul from Ephesians chapter 2. And we're coming into the home stretch here, folks. But uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, if you want to look at that, it's on page 827. Uh, If not, I'm happy just to read it to you. Hear what he says. Paul says, As for you, you you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live, When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And then he goes on to express what it means to live in disobedience, to gratify the cravings of your sinful nature, to follow its desires and thoughts and so on. And that's the way that God views the world that you're either following the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that ancient serpent, or you're following God. And, you know, if you're a person who's come to know Christ, then you know what it is to once have lived that way. There's a beautiful word there in verse 4, it's the word but. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy has made us alive with Christ. Even when we're dead in our transgressions, it's by grace you've been saved. For that lamb was slain, truly slain, a true sacrifice on the cross. And what what has happened here is that uh, Satan has lost his grip on the world, hasn't he? Uh, You know, Satan doesn't mind what you worship so long as you don't worship Jesus. But do you remember in, um, uh, in, in Revelation 12 when the child came into the world Satan wanted to kill the child because Satan began to lose his grip when the child came into the world because the kingdoms clashed God's kingdom invaded Satan's kingdom in Luke chapter 10 you don't have to look this up but in Luke chapter 10 Jesus sent out 72 of his disciples to go and preach that the kingdom preach the kingdom of God didn't he and you know, when his disciples came back to him, uh, they said, "Wow, It was amazing. He said that even the demons, uh, even the demons um, submit to us in your name." And Jesus replied, "I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven." Well in Revelation chapter 12, the great dragon was hurled to the earth with all of his angels. Because he's been defeated. How has he been defeated? He's been defeated by the cross of Jesus. Because on the cross, Jesus dealt with the claim that Satan had over our lives. What was the claim that Satan had over our lives? Satan could point his finger at you, and at you, and at you, and at me, and say, sinner. Rebel against God. Deserving of eternal punishment. One of me, one of my people. He could say that. But on the cross, as Paul says in Colossians, that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities because he dealt with that claim that Jesus had over us by paying the penalty for our sin himself. So he disarmed Satan. And he took us out of the kingdom of darkness and brought us into his kingdom. The kingdom whereby we are forgiven. The kingdom whereby we have relationship with God, both now and forever. You see, you and I, if anyone wants to know whether Satan's won this battle or lost, you and I are the evidence that he's lost the battle because who do we now belong to? We belong to God. Okay? Along with millions and millions and millions of people all over the world, down through the angels. But Satan's cranky. Uh, you see, he's still around. Uh, he's been defeated. And as Luther wrote in his hymn, his doom is writ. But he doesn't give up easily. And he's still in his death throes. And so in chapter 12, verse 17, the defeated, now enraged dragon makes war against anyone who obeys God and trusts the gospel. And how does he make war against us? Well, he tries to deceive us. He tries to lure us, to lure us back to himself. It's 666 kind of stuff. How does he do it? How does he present this counterfeit reality to us in order to lure us away from Christ? Well, let me just finish off by making a few points. False teaching is one way that he does it. False teaching, which sounds mostly like true teaching, but kind of nudges Jesus off uh, center stage. False teaching about God, which will tell you a whole lot of stuff that's absolutely true and you can tick all the boxes and say, yep, that's what the Bible says except that it will not actually help you to put your trust in Christ as the one who saved you from your sins. And that's 666 kind of stuff. It's a false teaching that Satan uses. Remember, the second beast does miracles, doesn't he? He does miracles. You say, you see miracles happening, you think, well, that must be God. No, it must be God if the gospel's being preached. <laughs> Uh, but Satan does miracles. Another way that Satan lures us is through immorality. And you know it's that old lie he says that life will somehow be much better, much more satisfying, much more enjoyable, much more fulfilling for you if you only... well you can fill in the blanks can't you? That's a lie. And of course materialism is another big way living for the things of this world as if this world is what matters. Friends, the take-home message from uh, from this, particularly chapter 12, verse 10, and chapter 13, verse 10, is pretty simple. It says, Recognize that we are involved in spiritual warfare. Trust in Christ's sacrifice, stick to the gospel, and don't shrink back. Uh, this is spiritual warfare. Let me conclude with Paul's final uh, uh, words to the Ephesians uh, where uh, in Ephesians chapter 6 he says in verse 10 finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers authorities powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Will you stand for Christ? Will you keep on putting your trust in the gospel? No matter the buffeting that you might receive from Satan, will you put a st- t- take your stand from Christ, for Christ? Even when the lure of the world seems so attractive, will you put your trust in Christ? Stand firm. That's the message. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the great victory that Christ has won on the cross. And we recognize, Lord God, that uh, this side of uh, heaven, that we are still involved in this uh, spiritual warfare. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would see it for what it is and that uh, in your strength and the power of your spirit and word that we would stand firm for the gospel, that we would put Christ as number one in our lives, and that we would give all glory to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.